Hello, listeners. Beyond the Mask, in conjunction with NBC RNA, is pleased to announce that listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how to submit them, go to our website. Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Now, on with the show. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. We know you spend your day caring for your patient's best interests. On our show, we want to care for you. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA industry. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7, well, Sharon, welcome into the studio. I know. I love being in here. Gosh, when was the last time you were here? Oh, about three weeks ago, fool. Gosh, seems like forever. <laughs> Only three weeks ago? <laughs> you missed Jeez. me. What can I say? I know, I know. Yeah, you've been, you had to travel around a little bit over the past week. I and did. Had take to go care of some north. family stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure did, sure did. And you know, people are wondering about about air travel, but I think I felt safer at the airport and on the airplane than I do at Walmart or the grocery store. Well, you know, it's got to be cleaner. I mean, you know, oh, with all the emphasis yeah. put on that. Very I actually clean. saw something that for the first time since COVID hit, TSA actually did a million people in one day across the country. Yeah, it looked like it was so, picking up a little bit. Yeah, it seems like travel is, you know, all the cases are picking up as well. So it's kind of a, a well, I don't here, think, so. and and um, I don't think there's ever been a documented case of uh, COVID transmission on air airplane. Travel. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm pretty sure it's because you sneeze and leave. You know, I mean, well, they make everybody wear a mask. <laughs> I mean, they don't make you wear a mask in uh, Walmart. I mean, nobody's yeah, going to chase you down, but they say very clearly on the airplane, uh, if you will not wear a mask, um, you may no longer be able to fly with yeah. us. We flew. We flew to Florida, um, and we both wore N95s. But I was really amazed. That everybody else on the plane, nobody else had on the N95. It was like some people had their mask pulled down on their chin and, you know, people had, uh, you know, just cloth masks on and so forth. And here we are with our, you know, I called it a duck bill N95s on. Um, but um, no, interesting. They, always, yeah. they also said that your mouth and nose had to be covered. Huh. Well, they, did. they really did not tell us anything. Oh, I was I was mightily impre- impressed. Hmm. Who did you fly? It was I guess it was American. I flew American. Yeah, hmm. I don't know. Well, I think we've got uh, another good podcast. Here. Oh, we do. You know, yeah. I love this series. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you want to introduce our guest? You want me to? Um, I'll start, and okay. you can bring up the rear. How's that? I usually do. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to have Gary Bridges on with us today, uh, AANA, past former president. You know, we go back and forth. If Some people think if you say past, that means you've 
died in some parts. Well, I mean, in some respects, if you say that. past, I mean, you did, he passed. Yeah. You know? I mean, so exactly. Um, let's so, say former. Yeah. So, How about that? Uh, AANA, <laughs> former president Gary Bridges, but I've known Gary for a long time and I chaired Gary. Um, when he was on government relations committee with me a uh, very, very long time ago. Yeah. Um, so I've, like I said, I've known him a, a long time, so I've got some things I can interject during Uh-oh. this podcast. This might podcast. not be good, Gary. I'm not <laughs> sure about this. <laughs> How are you today? Doing well, doing well. Good, good. Well, thank you for joining us. Um, oh, it's a pleasure. We, we always get excited about these, you know, I mean listening to leaders such as yourself and Sharon and all the others that we've had on um, just talk about things that happened during their year as presidency. Because, you know, for most people, I mean, it's really laid back and, you know, you just go to meetings and have a few drinks and um, you you really don't ride in a limo, you know, you get to stay in a nice suite. But other than that, I mean, it's pretty easy from, right? (laughs) That's it. Let let Gary tell you about all of his many degrees. He's got more letters after his name than uh, practically anybody I know besides Jackie Rolls. So uh, tell us, Gary, how many degrees have you got? And tell us all your degrees. Well, let's see. I started out with organic and biochemistry, went on to nursing, got a Bachelor of Science in nursing. And I worked for a little bit, took a little pause off from education for a couple of years. And then I went back, became an acute care nurse practitioner. As an acute care nurse practitioner, I was doing first assist in cardiac surgery and running a 36-bed cardiovascular ICU. After about 12 months, that nearly killed me. And I said, ah, I got to go back to school. So I applied to anesthesia, got into nurse anesthesia school, completed that. Not too long after graduation, I actually became the chief nurse anesthetist at uh, our facility that I work at at MD Anderson Cancer Center within about, about three years. And I quickly realized I need a little bit better foundation in leadership. And so I started out looking at DNP. So I finished a DNP. I finished an MBA. Uh, at that time, I was developing some of my leadership too through organizational commitment. That's where I met Sharon way back in, I want to say 2010. Mm-hmm. And Jim um, Walker was president. Whatever. Jim Walker was president. That's correct. Mm-hmm. Then uh, let's see, after I finished my MBA, at the same time I was doing a PhD. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> told you, we're not uh, done yet. Wow. <laughs> Keep going, Gary. Yeah. So, so, you know, I had a real passion for, you know, what really speaks and resonates in healthcare settings with, you know, long term being an executive leadership is you really have to be able to speak the language of finance and Absolutely. economics of healthcare. And so that was really the, the uh, focus of my PhD. And so while I was doing electives in my PhD, I was doing those electives in other programs like uh, Masters of Healthcare Administration, stuff like that. And so finished up my MBA, finished my PhD, and uh, now I'm in my uh, master's in healthcare administration, <laughs> wrapping that up. And so, um, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, you're just collecting degrees. And it really, it's, it's, it's about lifelong learning. And, you know, I know people have probably uh, heard a lot of lifelong learning because of recertification. But, no, truly, I, I think every 
every degree or every coursework or certificate that one pursues, you really need to be passionate about it. And, Absolutely. you know, that's, that's what I've done. Every, every piece of coursework I've done has been just um, gratifying because it resonates what I do every day uh, at work, but also while I was going through the ranks in, in organizational leadership, whether that be at the ANA or whether that be at the Texas Association of Nurse Anesthetists, I always tried to supplement, you know, areas of opportunity with, with the coursework. And um, so, yeah, I don't know what, what is that, six, something like that? And let me see now, you had been admitted to law school, but then you won your AANA presidential election, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, <laughs> I don't think back. he's done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's always been, you know, law, not not for the reasons of going in and being, a, you know, uh, working for a big law firm, it's just the, uh, the intellectual challenge that it, that it actually creates. I could right now I'm, I'm in a law course for my MBA program and, uh, taught by an attorney and we have to do, you know, briefs on every court, uh, mm-hmm. case that we analyze. So it's, it's really thought provoking and, um, yeah. fortunately or unfortunately, I did win the president elect uh, at the time, and so I had to I had to pull back and put it on pause for a while. Wow! <laughs> See, I told you. I bet I know something else about Gary. You don't know. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> besides the fact that I tell my husband that if Gary was twelve inches taller, he should be worried because um, I love Gary, um, uh. but. You've heard whenever he speaks organization. Uh-huh. Gary's Canadian. Oh, I did yeah. I did not know that. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Think the about second, it. Agatha the second. was Canadian too. That's yeah. right. That's yeah. correct. That's right. Yeah. Wow. Wow. You know, I always talk about, you know, the potential of, of going back and going to law school and Sarah's like no, you like to argue way too much as it is, mm-hmm. and you're not going somewhere where they formally teach you how oh. to beat everybody in arguing. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's right. That's why I feel sorry uh, for my son-in-law sometimes. Yeah, because you, you learn to debate about everything. Oh, everything God. is a debate. My Shelly my, does. My friends that are attorneys, that's the way their mm-hmm. life is and their house is. And, you know, I mean, I remember, I'll, I'll tell a real quick sidebar. So one time I had to go to court with one of my employees and she was doing something. It had nothing to do with work, but, and she asked me to be there for her. And um, they ended up calling me to the stand. Oh, wow. And so um, I got up there and I got to debate with this lawyer. And I mean, I frustrated this lawyer to death. I mean, (laughs) every question I was, you know, repeating the question and saying, you know, now what do you exactly mean by when you say that's my Shelly? And and I just went on and on about it. And finally, the, the judge said, are you an attorney? by chance? And I said, no, ma'am, I'm not. And she looked at me and she goes, you should be. Wow. <laughs> wow. Uh, so interesting little sidebar. It so you probably didn't know that either. So. I um, did not but, um, know that. Well, Gary, let's, let's talk about you and let's kind of talk about now, what year were you president? I remember it, but um, it was just, it was a couple years ago, right? Yep, 2018 through 2019. Right. It was Boston, I believe. Was Let's that, see. Were you coming or going in Boston? 
I was coming in in Boston in, and right. leaving in Chicago. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, see, I remember a little bit of this. So, so kind of walk us through, you know, one, why did you run for president? And, uh, you know, you said earlier you made a little comment and said, uh, good or bad, I won. Um, so, we can kind of elaborate on that as well. So, Sure, sure. You know, uh, I think it's, to begin with, it, it's just a privilege to represent the profession um, in any way that you can. Yeah. Whether you're a committee member, whether you're a board member, whether you're the president, um, it's all volunteer services. And, uh, you know, that's part of giving back. And I, I think right. that's important because of the great things that we've reaped from this profession has just been, you know, I, I could think of doing nothing else. You know, the reason for running for president, uh, I think, in, in most former president's mind is, is that you're on a trajectory to try to help make a difference and, and push, whether that be the advocacy, whether that be the profession in any way or any manner that you can, uh, forward. And, um, you know, I'll kind of roll it back to 2015, 16, when Sharon was coming in as president. No, I was 14 to 15. 14 to 15. Yeah. That's right. My God, years are flying by. <laughs> um, and, and I remember her calling me. It was, it was about the second week of July. And, you know, she, we're chit-chatting. She welcomes me to the board. And she's like, I want to ask you something. And now you have to kind of roll back to 2010 when there was this little thing called the CPC program Ooh. that was rolled out. <laughs> yeah, little thing. Yeah, I mean, everybody oh. loved it, right? <laughs> oh, I know where you're going now. <laughs> you know, you move up, you want to keep moving the ball forward. And, and um, she was kind of like, well, this is a really big favor. And I said, oh, no problem. Anything, Sharon, anything, you know, anything for the board, you know, whatever you need me to do. She goes, well, I'd like you to be the liaison to the NBC RNA. <laughs> oh, dagger. And I, I kind of like, oh my God, because we were right in the heat. We were coming off the heels of the big, you know, mm -hmm. stakeholder meeting in Chicago. Oh, yeah. um, there was a lot of noise going on at the time, not to mention the membership was kind of putting NBC RNA and ANA in the same pot. And so. Um, of boiling water. Mm -hmm. Boiling water. That's an understatement. And, <laughs> and, you know, I'll say that. I believe it was Simon Sinek that said this, is that people don't become leaders just to have a position or a role. They become leaders because they have the courage to confront adversity and attempt to overcome adversity. Mm -hmm. right? And so when she said that, and I paused, I'm thinking, the little elf on my shoulder, well, actually probably the same height as me, um, <laughs> <laughs> is... is <laughs> is saying, uh, don't do it, don't do it. You know, this is political suicide. And yeah, and, yeah sure, I'll do it, no problem. And um, I was quite nervous because I didn't know what to expect. First time on the board of directors of the ANA. Here I am, the liaison now to our certification, recertification body. And Sharon and I went to, I believe it was Miami. We did. Um, we were, I was the first president to ever go to their board meetings. That's right. And so, so we went together and I will tell you, it was a warm welcome. 
it was nothing like all the noise that I experienced on, like we all experience on social media and yeah. sort of the sidebar conversations, the side conversations of telephone calls. It was actually quite pleasant. And, you know, um, recognizing that we're two different entities, that we're going to get through it together, that change will happen, but also respecting the fact of how each organization represents mm-hmm. one another. And so, you know, them yeah. representing essentially the public, making sure the credential is well protected and anybody that holds that credential is well qualified and evaluated for those qualifications. And then ANA representing their membership. And so it was an interesting dichotomy because you would have to switch your hats numerous times, uh, yeah. you know, depending on the conversations you're having. But Nonetheless, uh, that was uh, a positive experience. And then I get reappointed the following year under Juan Quintana's year. And so there was a good relationship. We built momentum. I think we were able to increase dialogue. And, and so I think one of those things, not that I was going to be able to fix all the problems or leave what you know some people would classify as a legacy in my year, but my intent was to keep that ball moving forward, to enhance that dialogue with the NBCRNA and um, try to certainly call more positive outcomes. And actually in our year, or I guess my year, we ended up having good conversations where this examination was the big bugaboo. Mm -hmm. And I listened to members for two and a half years going to state meetings and, and giving presentations and was the first thing they were they were reporting is how concerned they were with failing and then losing their certification or licensure. So, you know, that was one of the things, certainly, you know, speaking in so many places that you get to listen to the membership, which is a real privilege, going to all the different Mm -hmm. states, listening to their concerns. Um, And so that was a responsibility that I felt um, was extremely important to represent the members and share those things in dialogue with the NBCRNA and was very, I think, was done quite well um, because they did listen. And in fact, after their analysis of the pilot exam, they found that it was not worth uh, keeping it as a high stakes exam. So now it's just, it's not even a pass fail. And so I think there was there was a win on both sides, you know, even though NBC and I went through the analyses, you know, I, I think the members from our side, we advocated for them and, and it was a win-win for everybody. The other was looking at, you know, would there be an alternative to an assessment? And so, you know, those those are strategies that are ongoing. I think when we had dialogue with NBC and A at the time, um, you know, one of the asks was, you know, at least give some examples of strategies like your top two or your top three, because we know the future is going to transform. And that's kind of the challenge that we have right now with generations is things are changing so fast. What you say today in three months time could be, you know, 180 degrees different. Absolutely. And right. And, and the problem is, is we're so accustomed to instant feedback, instant gratification, Mm -hmm that mm-hmm. dopamine release that we just, we want more and more gratification. And, yep. and unfortunately that's just not how, you know, certification recertification works. And so tempering people to say, look, we're ma- we're moving the ball in a good direction. And, um, you know, I think, I think we got certainly what, what 
we wanted, which was, you know, to, to relinquish the high stakes examination and to at least start exploring um, some definite concrete alternatives uh, to, to testing. So, you know, well, if, there, if there was one thing, and, and I think, go ahead. In my defense, <laughs> no. Uh, let me, and I'm sure that I shared this on the call with you whenever I called you, Gary, because, you know, you know as well as I do, as a leader, you've got to look and put people in the right spots where they will excel and, you know, it's, it's the right person for the right job. And when I looked at my incoming board members, you were most definitely the right person for that job. You're highly analytical. I have never seen you get angry. Um, you know, some of us are a little bit more passionate <laughs> than others. Um, and, you know, President-elect Juan, Jesus, I mean, Juan is Latino. He's got passion coming out his ears all the time. Um, but you are so analytical that you will just, I watched you sit back process information and obviously you're brilliant or you wouldn't have all these degrees and you were just the right person for that job and uh, John Hanlon was our first liaison and one of the some of the feedback that John gave us was that one year also was not enough and I knew that it was a tough job to throw you in there as a first year board member but that way it could be a two-year term so that we could make some progress instead of trying to reintegrate somebody. Um, but you were the perfect person for that, for that job. Yeah. Well, thank you. You know, it, as a sidebar here, it was interesting to watch that. I remember being at meetings. I actually remember one very vividly when Terry Wicks got up and, and spoke at a meeting. And I mean, he was literally attacked. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was it was the craziest thing I'd ever seen. I mean, I was so uncomfortable in the room mm -hmm. that I could just feel myself ten, tense up. But, you know, I, then I kind of thought about it. I thought, you know, in this room, we had we had CRNAs that were, you know, they, they were certificate trained. You had CRNAs mm -hmm. who were, you know, had, had masters. You had CRNAs with doctorates. And, you know, it, they were scared. I mean, they sure. didn't know what this meant. And, and can I, can my level of skill meet these new younger CRNAs level of skill? Are they trying to usher us, us oldie goldies out of the industry? And, you know, you heard that over and over. So it took a unique skill set, mm -hmm. um, Gary. So here, I'm listening to Sharon here to be able to deal with that, with the strong personalities of CRNAs at so many different levels of preparation and in the back of their mind thinking, you guys are out to get me. Right. Well, um, we brought people in to help train us. Yeah. Oh, to, okay. I didn't realize to, that. Yes. Okay. To, to deal with all of this because you would get attacked and yeah. you're not going to gain anything by attacking back no what do you get um, think of, of our last presidential debate <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but <laughs> you know uh it we had to work very hard and in yeah. as you both know i use humor a lot of times so i would just get up on the stage and say i'm o positive go ahead and call the blood bank because <laughs> i know you're going to draw blood yeah. Um, yeah. before it's mm. over with but that being said i think what uh, we also hear from gary is that it wasn't 
combative whenever he was working with the NBC RNA. And right. Gary and I talked at, at length about that when we went to that their board meeting. We were, you know, you go in and you think, oh, listening to what everybody said, they've got something to hide. They're not right. going to let us in the room. Right. We were there for the entire meeting. And let me tell you, their board meetings are three days long, and those people work from sun up to sunset in three days. Three yep. days. I mean, AANA board meetings aren't three days long. Yeah. Wow. And we were we were in there the whole time. We were never asked to leave. Everything was open, transparent, even though, God, I hate that term. <laughs> um, but Gary was the right person for the job, and I was right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, every once in a while, I do have to tell her, Gary, that she is right. And it just, <laughs> oh, it's so hard to do. <laughs> you know, on another uh, note, something that you brought up, Gary, was, and we hear this over and over with all of the presidents, that the most fond memories they have and the thing they enjoy the most was meeting the members and going to the meetings. And I often wonder, during this COVID piece, you know, Kate Jansky wasn't able to do that. Stephen Surditch is not able to do that. I really feel bad for them because that truly is one yeah. of the most incredible opportunities that you have as AANA president. The best. Absolutely. You know, your, your week can be going to hell in a handbasket, but you know, you're getting on a plane and the minute you land, you, you're welcomed with open arms, every state that you go. It, it just, mm-hmm. I mean, it just, uh, probably the, the part that hurts the most about not continuing as president is not having that privilege because it, it was a privilege mm-hmm. and uh, I would never have changed it for anything in the world because I just I met so many great people and listened to a lot of good criticism that, um, you know, I think uh, we need and have to really solicit that information from individuals. You know, they show up to meetings and some might have a bone to pick or an axe to grind. And uh, and it's for good reason in their world. And, and, and I think, you know, every opportunity to be able to hear people and, and listen to their concerns to bring it back to Park Ridge is, is an imperative. And, and it's so gratifying. Well, you know, you, you remind me of a, a story. Whenever I was president, I was at, I think, a meeting in Florida. Good God. No, Texas. And you know, I had gotten me the little weenie on a stick during the little greeting <laughs> hour or whatever. And, you know, have you, how you have the standing tables. And I went up to this table and I said, do you mind if I stand here with you two? It was a man and a woman. And we just started chit-chatting. And then as we were chit-chatting, we had gotten into the conversation. And the man looked at me. I can't remember his name. Um, so sorry that I can't. And he said, I flew down here to come to this meeting because you were speaking here. <laughs> wow. And, you know, obviously it was all around the NBC RNA stuff. And, and he didn't necessarily agree with some of the decisions that had been made or whatever. And he said, I come down here to really give you a piece of my mind. <laughs> but you are nothing like I thought you yeah. would be. He said, I really like you. 
I just, uh, you know, back to what people's perceptions are yeah. from the outside looking in. But it sounds like, you know, that was a big challenge for you. Are there any other challenges that you had during your year that you'd like to talk about? Sure. Uh, you know, another big one was, you know, we were trying to get the ball rolling at the start of my year uh, with the handoff from Bruce Weiner with trying to open conversation and dialogue with the American Society of Anesthesiologists. Mm. And uh, knowing that's a double-edged sword from both perspectives, right? The ASA also. Um, We scheduled our first meeting here in Austin, Texas, um, with the ASA leadership and, and our leadership team. And had our first meeting, which actually was quite productive. And we, we kind of try to, you know, lay down our, our differences and, and sort of have some constructive dialogue on, you know, what are one or two things that we can do together this year um, to maybe be as a win so that we can rebuild trust. And, and um, Linda Mason was, was the incoming ASA president as I was the incoming president. And, and Mary Dale Peterson they kind of work in dyads is, is, was the, to follow president elect who just finished up. And, you know, it was, it was, we were looking at things on uh, possible billing in, in policy issues in Washington, DC, brain health was a thing we were looking at some of those initiatives, you know, we're, we're pretty energized and, and let's see, shortly after that, uh, we met again, I guess I went out to the ASA conference and, um, went to uh, uh, Linda Mason's reception uh, for her introduction into as, as the president. And um, then that Wednesday afternoon about SRNAs with their House delegates decision of not allowing SRNAs to um, be in the room alone. And of course, the minute I, it probably didn't even get off the floor and it was in the hands and across the country within seconds. And we're like, oh, my God, what is going on? And so we had a a conference call a few months later to discuss. That was one of the topics amongst many others. And and so, you know, what was interesting is, and and this was part of building up that trust and, and the relationship, not only as two large organizations, but just between the leadership of the two presidents, the president elect, the CEOs, et cetera. You know, and, and one of the responses were, it's like, well, you know, not everybody in the ASA is happy with the result of what came out of the House of Delegates. And so we're going back to the drawing board. And, and so, you know, these are the things that aren't discussed open in public. And, and you know, they asked if we would kind of keep it uh, quiet so that they could work through the issues. They're going to you know, resurvey their membership and, and, you know, uh, engage them again. And, and so they were working on, on changing those or amending those in this following year or last year rather. And so, you know, that aside, we continued to work on um, some other stuff together, continued to have meetings. And, you know, I think then the APSF publication came out, unfortunately, mm-hmm. with a few statements in, you know, an article that was that was more global than it was anything related to the United States. But there was some some mis, uh, I guess, 
missteps in, in, in editing or filtering out for the APSF. And so those two things really got our members energized. And I would say, unfortunately, not for the better to make it easier for us to try to work through things. Um, you know, Mark Warner, who was the president of the APSF at the time, as soon as that came out, him and I had a phone call. Mark and I work quite well together. And, you know, at a little bit further on in the year, you know, the board decides we're going to pull out of the APSF, which was really unfortunate. I think, you know, whether it's one, two, or, or four voices at the table of CRNAs to represent CRNAs, you know, I, I still believe strongly in the APSF today um, that, you know, we make some missteps or, or however people want to define that as well as other groups, whether that be APSF, ASA, et cetera, you know, but I don't think, I, I think it's unfortunate when, when people consider it, let's draw a line in the sand and let's not have a discussion. We're not happy or, you know, have those kinds of, the crucial, another thing from Simon Sinek is about generational differences who are not mm -hmm. willing today to have crucial conversations confront one again this is part of leadership right is yeah. you're willing to have those difficult conversations you're not willing to do that over a text or an email um or social media right and i will tell you that there were some media stuff that had come out that you know we had conversation you know that we weren't happy with asa and then there was media stuff that came out from the ana supporting crnas and and they weren't happy with and but we, we still continue to meet and have dialogue despite those differences. And we're able to keep that on the table and still try to make productive headway. Um, you know, unfortunately, that fizzled out towards the end of the year. Um, you know, I really wish it would have continued because if you're not at the table, getting all the information and yes, there's other avenues. But I mean, I always think about as many people do is, is how powerful would the anesthesia community be if the AANA and the ASA were able to actually get it right and partner together? Absolutely. I mean, I just, you know, mm -hmm. it, you know, and, and, and I, it really, it's, it's unfortunate to see you have physicians bantering about who CRNA shouldn't be practicing independent. You have CRNAs bantering about physicians and they're, you know, and, and I'll tell you that, um, that's not all physicians and that's not all CRNAs. There are CRNAs and physicians that are in very healthy relationships and practices together. I would I'm say the majority. I mean, it, it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's about 76.4% to be exact. <laughs> <laughs> but who's counting, right? Yeah, yeah I'm not counting. Um, uh, you know, and, and, and it, it's really unfortunate because all these different pools of water, if you will, are not going to change. They're not going to go away. Right. They may contract a little bit temporarily and then they'll shift together, but people need to respect each other's roles and then try to have productive dialogue on, on where we can make progress and headway together. And uh, so anyway, you know, this year was, I was scratching my head. It's like, how do I spin this? How do I keep this momentum going? And it, it just, you know, with leadership change, I, I think that it, Mary Dale Peterson was willing to work. I don't know what happened after I left, but, you know, uh, it, it went radio silence and, and uh, it was unfortunate because, you know, you're never going to build trust until you actually have the crucial conversations and, and have honest conversations with one another. 
Yeah. And the one way to solve that, you know how to solve all that, right, Gary? How's that? Take, take money right out of the equation. <laughs> That's exactly uh, That's it. My God. Take yeah. it out. You know, <laughs> if you really wanted to solve that issue, as, as Sharon and I, you know, we've talked about, just mm-hmm. if, if money wasn't there, yeah. this would be a non-issue. That's right. You know, but it is, unfortunately. Wow. So, you know. I know we've talked about it, but that's just about as plain as you can put it right there. I mean, you know, when I look at the issue, that's the way I see it. I mean, you know, if if the anesthesiologist can continue to make seven, eight hundred thousand dollars and CRNAs can continue to make two hundred thousand dollars and nobody got hurt in that financially, this would all be solved. Well, I mean, think about all relationships. I mean, even marriages, if you took money, sex and children out of the equation, you'd never have anything to argue about. Well, in-laws. I mean, you got you to gotta put that in there, too, Sharon. Listen, my mother-in-law lives with me. <laughs> well, you talked a little bit about social let's go to social media and what impact no (laughs) you know uh outside of we we interviewed mary uh depolis letso and she talked about when they first got their first emails among board members (laughs) um so we didn't have to talk about social media with her but i know it's a, a hot topic with uh now recent presidents so shoot gary tell us yeah you know social media is if you leverage it right, it can be extremely powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, if done poorly, it can be very detrimental. And, you know, we, we've seen numerous times with social media. I actively, unless there was information to get into the membership's hands or there was misinformation, I would try to, if it was one individual, try to have a back. Mm-hmm. you know, a, a conversation in the background and not have it. A, it I mean, I, I think sometimes if people get into this, this um, cycle of negativity and, and bantering. Come on um, in the South, we call it a pissing contest, Gary. It, it's that. <laughs> yes, it's definitely that. But if you watch some of these threads, like the conversation, like completely goes off into a tangent that is, that doesn't even germane to the topic. Yeah. And so you sit there and you got to scratch it. It's like, well, so if I get involved in this conversation, I'm going to have to keep redirecting it a lot. Right. And um, it's just not productive. And I, uh, so I, I, I actively did not like do daily, you know, posts and stuff like that. What I did do is, so he and I, develop where we would come out and we're still doing it now is you know one week randy would send out or i would send out my president's message the following and it would be an email to the to the membership we'd post it cross post it and then the following we would do randy and so we would try to kind of give sort of the current events you know um asa does this on their monday morning uh minutes or brief or something like that they call it and so we were doing sort of the same strategy. I'm glad to see that it's, it's continued. And it was really just to sort of, you know, people get up in the morning and they get a little, a news brief as to here's what's going on with the ANA and how the ANA is representing me with what members are doing across the country. Now we're starting to see, you know, CRNAs in the news. I mean, I think it's just, it's, it got some momentum and I think it's, it's started to flourish now, which, which is great. You know, social media, uh, you know, grappling with five different generations in the profession is a real challenge, right? Um, You have, and and I can tell you, you know, 
I can't stop thinking about him right now. Is and uh, you know, God bless Barry Cranfield's mm-hmm. family who um, he passed this this Saturday from COVID nineteen. And uh, I remember sitting in Georgia two years ago um, with him and uh, a few of the members at the table when I was actually giving the ANA update. And um, you know, here's here's a couple that that points their fingers at me and says, "Look." I voted for you to become president and I expect you to represent me. Uh, you know, this was on the NBC RNA issue and high stakes <laughs> oh, exam. And so, you know, these are people that, that have a flip phone. It's not texting a constant. So I pulled a chair out and I sat down with them and, and, you know, I had a mic and I had, you know, I gave them the mic and I said, talk into the mic so everybody can hear you. And, uh, you know, they shared their stories and, and then, you know, you see others in the crowd where their face is lit up from the screen of their, of their iPhone or whatever uh, device they're using. And, and, you know, I swear I could stand in front of them and have a text conversation yep. rather than a, a verbal conversation. And um, I, I just, it's, uh, <laughs> it's interesting to watch the generational differences, you know, and, and, and how you have to tailor your communication. Cause yeah. sometimes I'm not sure how to communicate with the newer, like, to me, it would be offensive to say, you know, um, text me, well, I can't, I can't go to dinner tonight because there's something you said today made me upset. Right. Right. Versus just call me and have a conversation, but it's fine with them. Yeah. And, you know, um, it's interesting times. And I, you know, I don't know how we're going to grapple with that because from that instance, texting and social media that that dopamine surge and you know my god it's already a diagnosis in the dsm-5 in the psychiatry manual right <laughs> is um is people that can't wean them away from that from that fixation on instant gratification of, of social media so you know I, I i don't know what the right platform is we're seeing a lot of new things come out like twitter and linkedin and what's it instagram and and uh facebook Evidently, his old hat. Yeah, um, that's old school, <laughs> as my my nineteen year old tells me. Only old people get on Facebook, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> so I, you know, I, I, I mean, I really grappled with that. Is and, and again, it, it just highlights the importance of going to state meetings. Yeah. Uh, for presidents, because you 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 get the FaceTime, and you can tailor to every person's needs there. Yeah. Gary, what were um, maybe some of the advocacy issues that that happened during your presidency as well? Yeah, the big one was surprise billing. And, um, you know, went to Washington and did a couple of what I thought were panel discussions ended up being debates. Um, (laughs) And the lawyer in you came out. (laughs) And it it was quite entertaining. You know, I mean, this business of, of where CRNAs get squeezed out of healthcare plans. And so, you know, a second bill comes as a surprise to patient is just unfortunate. It's not to the fault of the CRNA. It's, right. you know, and of course, you know, one representative from uh, Cross Blue Shield is there. And I said, so, and I kind of dovetailed with, I tagged team with my dyad was uh, one of the representatives for the American Hospital Association. And so her and I were kind of talking about rural America and these big Blue Cross Blue Shield plans squeezing out CRNAs and not reimbursing them for their services in the middle of nowhere America for CRNA services. And then, then the CRNAs got to survive somehow. Otherwise, the, the service isn't going to be supplied there anymore. And um, we kind of pointed the finger. And, and of course, we had two kids that were economists. 
I don't know what they've done besides graduating from school and debating <laughs> on elastic and inelastic economies. Right. Um, but it, it was, it was really entertaining. And, and I, I think, you know, you know, the arguments were, well, there's only 17% of patients being, being surprised billed. And I said, well, whoa, 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 only 17%. But wait a minute. What about the person in rural America that's only making, let's say, $30,000 a year, and they get an epidural bill or a, a hospital anesthesia bill for $6,500 is, is you know, near a third of their annual income. I, I said, yeah. it's not just 17% it's a huge impact and you know, and it's not just anesthesia. I mean, there's, there are other, other areas of healthcare delivery, but that was a big one that um, we got a little bit of traction. In fact, while we were sitting in, in what was, I'll just call it a debate. The bill was on the floor at the time being pushed. And so we were, and <laughs> I was getting feedback on that. So I was trying to, push some some little nuggets out there hoping that if it was being watched by any of the legislators um that they were picking it up and saying oh wow yeah this is a problem and so it it did it did get some traction it got put on pause uh briefly it's back up in the legislature again hopefully you know surprise billing will will get taken care of to uh you know pay crnas for the services that that they render you know pain management services i mean these groups denying uh either reimbursement or entry into into their networks is is just crazy and it's unfortunate so that was the biggest one um that we dealt with in in dc that year let me ask you we all learn a lot when we're aana president so what is the most valuable leadership lesson that you learned during your tenure oh my god there have been many (laughs) i i would say i'd say that not that i didn't already have self-reflection but it really really that year forced me to really look at myself and evaluate myself I'm you know am I doing I was hypercritical of myself and being that you know letting certain things um you know sometimes you know when there's debates going on or or exchanges of 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 critique on a topic and sometimes it gets sort of uh, off track and trying to realign that uh, back without, without offending anybody uh, can be a challenge sometimes, especially when you have, I mean, look at A&A board of directors. If there's any personality that's not type A, I would be shocked, yeah. right? <laughs> and so everybody is, is, is top of their game, high strung. And so, um, taking criticism is very difficult. And, and I yeah. think I owed myself to make sure that I listened to the criticisms of me and I owed individuals respectful criticism of them. And, uh, you know, I remember one time in particular, you know, as all boards do, uh, you know, you wax and wane and, um, it was getting a little heavy at one point. And, uh, I remember in Washington, D.C., at mid-year assembly. So I, you know, and I think Jackie Rolls had mentioned this, that she wasn't. So there's contingency funds that the, that the president has. And knowing the board makeup, I felt it very important to have essentially a level of executive leadership coaching so that you would have mm-hmm. this, this 
unbiased party that would watch and then, you know, in the background, pull you and say, hey, you know, next time, you know, approach the scenario this way or be cognizant of the individual that you're interacting with as to their feelings, what your anticipated response is going to be, uh, if that's good or bad, uh, et cetera. And so we hired uh, a group, Sorts All, uh, to come in and help uh, the entire year, which I think was very beneficial because it taught me a lot of um, not only self-awareness, but the fact of, of augmenting the importance of crucial conversations, but doing it respectfully. And I can tell you this one time, we were sitting there and we always did a little bit of a, a two-hour sort of leadership, um, you know, update education prior to the board meeting. And, and this particular morning before the board meeting, it was like walking on eggshells. And, you know, so, so the, the leadership coach says, you know, well, is, you know, how are things going? And, and, and I said, well, let, let's just, three minutes had gone by and it was really quiet. And I said, look, I just, let's not walk in and just let me, you know, and I, I addressed one of the board members and I said, look, can I come and sit in front of you so that we can actually have a conversation? And they said, sure. So I pull my chair up and I figure I might as well break the ice. Right. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so I shared with them, this individual, very, very intelligent, um, you know, good person. And, you know, the toughest thing to share with individuals is where their opportunities for improvement are. Yep. And, and so I began with that. And there was this initiation to rebut or to justify what I was saying, yet the coach intervened and said, no, let them finish. And the only thing you ask is, is there more? And that was a very enlightening mm -hmm. moment because That's it opened <laughs> the door for conversation and it forced me to be cognizant of, you know, I'm not saying this because I'm trying to be hurtful to the other individual. I'm saying this because I care and respect for that person and I owe them this conversation. And by the end of the conversation, and so, you know, and then they had their opportunity to share with me. And, uh, you know, uh, we both broke down crying, hugged each other, and I think walked away gaining more respect for one another. And I, I think those are the times in leadership that you realize the importance of crucial conversations. You can't do that over text message. No, absolutely mm -hmm. not. No. Well, Gary, I think we could probably talk to you for another few hours here. Um, it's just interesting, easy conversation. Actually, and, Gary uh, and I have done that before. <laughs> and especially, you know, if we put a drink in our hands, you know, we'll oh, be there all night. I, so. I still remember when I spoke at the Texas meeting and uh, we went to this wine bar right beside of the Marriott. Yes. And good gosh, how, how many hours did we talk, Gary? <laughs> <laughs> a lot of hours. Uh, well, as we kind of wrap up here, Gary, is there anything that you would like to say maybe to the younger CRNAs, maybe other CRNAs out there, um, anything that you kind of want to leave our, our audience with right now? Yeah, you know, I think one of the important things about, you know, anybody that's emerging into the profession, reach out and volunteer 
for your professional association, whether that be national. It doesn't have to be national. It can be local at the state level. And, and the reason being is because there are so many facets of growth and development in leadership, in networking, professional development that you will attain from participating in, whether that be a committee, whether that be, you know, just showing up at meetings and helping coordinating meetings um, or getting on a board of directors. It's really important um, to engage. And a lot of uh, the resources that your money and your dues go into help develop you as a leader when you attend these things. So, you know, I can't tell you how many leadership opportunities and development opportunities, rather, uh, you know, PR and media training, et cetera, that, that the profession is given back. You just have to engage and it's just volunteer your time. Uh, you will get a thousandfold back in return, not to mention the connections uh, that you will make across the country, which is just um, unparalleled. I think that's great advice, Sharon. Yeah, what do yes, you think? I think is. I've heard you say that before. Can I tell one last thing about sure. Gary? Yeah. Gary, well, I'll let Gary tell it. Gary, <laughs> tell about your athleticism and what you did many, many oh, months boy. ago. I have sure. a picture of it on my cell phone. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, you know, as every Canadian does, is uh, at least back when I was growing up, hockey was is my religion. And, um, you know... Every kid, when you're playing hockey, you uh, your goal is to play in the NHL. And uh, I had made it to Junior B, and we were, which is just under the the farm teams for the professional league. And so I got drafted, and we were heading to the European Championships, early 1980s. And um, one week before we left, uh, my coach calls and says. I'm going to have to put you down, Lee, because I'm worried you're going to get hurt over in Europe. And I'm like, really? I said, well, we, we're short on defense. How in the heck, you know, we will never. He goes, no, no, no. So anyways, I, begrudgingly, I went down a league, you know, and when you go down a league, there's a huge difference in play and it just wasn't even challenging. And so my math teacher said, you know, you'd be a good weightlifter. I was like, well, what's that? And of course, he was a national uh, hammer thrower in track and field. And so he brought me um, to go meet a friend of his who was third in the world in Olympic weightlifting. So that's two events called the clean and jerk, the snatch. And you have three lifts. You take the highest lift from each exercise and you combine it for total. So I'm like, okay, sure. So I get on this um, training regimen for about six months. He says, well, let's go to a contest. I go to a contest. I win and qualify for the junior nationals. And so I'm like, okay. So I go to the junior nationals and I'm competing against the guy that's won the Canadian title for the last three years and um, is getting ready to go to the world championships. And so I have no coach. I'm there by myself. And so I'm talking to the guys there. And one of the coaches, you don't have a coach. I was like, no, he's back at home. And he's like, well, do you want one? I said, well, sure. He says, well, what are your totals? So I show him my training log and he's like, okay, all right. So we get going. Um, so I, so the first, you start out with the, the, the snatch event. And so I win that. I get the high total. 
And then um, we get into the clean and jerk. I get into the second lift, make the second lift. And he's like, you could win this, the whole thing. I'm like, well, let's go for it. <laughs> so I make the lift. I hold it over my head. And, you know, you got to wait for the judges to tell you, let, let the weight down. Well, well, nobody told me the rules because I was so excited because I knew I had won the contest. I just let the bar go from the top of my head. It comes crashing down on the floor and I got three red lights. And I'm like, well, what? What? I made the lift. They're like, no, 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 no. Your hands have to be on the bar until it passes your waist because it's dangerous. I'm like, okay, well, I wish somebody would have told me that. Well, anyway, so I got bronze <laughs> or uh, I got silver. And then um, obviously the following year I came back after learning the rules. Uh, I was number one in Canada for six years and north america for three i went to three world championships and i was heading to the olympic 1992 olympics uh december 91 i was um heading the airport to pick up my mother and uh on the way back home we got in a car accident got rear-ended by a drunk driver took me out of commission and that kind of was like a sobering moment i'm like oh my god like this could be all over and, and sure enough, I mean, I couldn't train for actually it was a couple of years. And, uh, so I had to pivot and I pivoted over to nursing and, uh, try to keep, you know, on track with life, got into construction to pay for <laughs> nursing school. So I ended up being up in the Northwest territories in the Arctic. Oh anytime I wasn't in school plowing wow. roads. So wow. yeah, it was, it was, um, Talk about learning, learning opportunities and leadership opportunities. Um, it was sobering. I'll tell you, you know, you just, um, you turn back and you, again, uh, it's validation why I keep going to school. I never yes. want to go back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what an awesome story. Awesome story. So Sharon, my, uh, my 320 on 320 just is not as important anymore. Sucks, hearing, really. hearing Gary's story here, you know, so, uh, so, so Gary, yeah, that was my goal for this year by March the 20th to be able to, to bench press 320. Oh, wow. and got hurt. <laughs> I, I actually did do it. I actually did 350 oh, um, and then kind of messed up. The, you know, I didn't realize your <laughs> part of your bicep comes up into your, your shoulder yeah. here. And I had uh, overextended that, but, uh, but I still did it, Sharon, yeah, several right. times, just oh, so you know, God. by the way. Yes. <laughs> and then whined for uh, how long? <laughs> Three uh, weeks. <laughs> 20 okay. days that's okay you know i'm 40 something now so i can do that <laughs> oh my god i gotta get out of this room oh, too much testosterone well, gary what what an awesome story and just a really neat guy i learned i enjoyed learning more about you and Sharon kind of painted a great picture, but it didn't, it didn't even do justice to what i've heard today so thank you for all you do for the the profession and all the CRNAs out there and what you've given back and you still continue to do. I think that's kind of the reoccurring theme amongst mm-hmm. all the, you know, the presidents uh, that have come before is that it, it never stops. There's always giving back to the profession. And, you know, you mentioned Barry Cranfield and, you know, just a, a sad story, but I, you know, I was telling someone today that, you know, um, I'm not even a CRNA, but anytime I had any business question or had anything, mm-hmm. I could text Barry 
And yeah. I mean, immediately he gets back to me and he's like, Hey, just call me right now. And, yeah. um, you know, another amazing guy who gave, gave a lot back to this industry and it will be sorely missed. So. Absolutely. Yeah. But, uh, well, Sharon, I think that's a wrap. I believe so. Yeah. So we want to thank our listeners for listening to Beyond the Mass with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. And the single best way to help our show grow is to tell others, you know, we're in the top 50 medical podcasts in the country, Sharon. That's right. And we want to be in the top 10. And we want to be in the top 10. So please tell others and always leave us a review, but only if it's positive. Yep. There's enough negativity in this world. I think it's a wrap. Until next time. Today's show was made possible by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services, customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. And thanks for your support of Beyond the Mask. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment, or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible, and we would appreciate your support. OSA EMR is a free anesthesia EMR developed by CRNAs that you can download and use on an iPad. Our nonprofit mission is to make sure that solo and small practice CRNAs can digitally record their anesthetics. To learn more, visit OSAEMR.com to download and consider donating to our cause. Remember, for CRNAs, data is destiny. Like what you're hearing? Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.